When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, what a time to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to <laughs> Friends from Work, where we are going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Yeah, we It doesn't are. get much better than this. I'm Kyle, he's Robbie, and we're extra excited today because we may or may not have a special guest. Ooh. What? So stay tuned for that. Coming up in a second. Before I get started, Robbie, I have to give a quick, I mean, 30-second leftover. This is a leftover that I'm going to blaze through. Hit me with it. I just was concerned that I did not give enough credit to the Thor 2 soundtrack. It's so (laughs) freaking good. Okay, I I just want to say, Kyle, we've had quite the role reversal here. You just can't stop thinking about how great Thor 2 is, apparently. (laughs) It's the Thor 2 podcast. (laughs) I can't help it. I just, I was running there day and I was like, man, did I talk about Brian Tyler enough? Cause he really did an amazing job. There's like three memorable themes from that last movie. Yeah. And he no, gives us true. some more stuff in the future. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Into Eternity is a song that, that I would recommend if folks are listening. It's very intense, but it's so good. Okay, so Robbie and I told you in the first episode that this podcast was kind of born out of a conversation we had on the phone after Avengers Endgame. But it was also slightly born out of a text group message that we've had going for about two years now. And I think we titled it the Avengers Support Group. <laughs> and it's just a few friends of ours. One of those friends is our very special guest today. Everybody, please welcome Kyle Cousins. What's up, guys? Yeah. Huge applause. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. We're happy to have you here. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for, um, I'm humbled, honored to be finally on the official Thor 2 The Dark World podcast. <laughs> there he is. We got him. He's here. Really excited. So Kyle, one of the reasons I thought it'd be perfect to have you on this episode is because you have a funny story about Disney and Star-Lord that I want you to share with our audience. I do. Um, yeah, so I'll give you the short version. Um, without going into all the details, uh, I was living in Orlando, Florida, where I still live now, and um, was working for Disney at the time. Um, I had grown up a Disney kid and was finishing grad school, had an opportunity uh, to work there through some connections and um, needed to pay bills. And so I thought, what better uh, job to have on the side than Disney? So I'm working in what they call a uh, casual temporary role. And a fellow cast member of mine, we've been talking, he knew that I liked to sing um, I think I'd shared with him that I'd done some musical theater. And he said, you know, Disney does open auditions. 
Um, you should go. I love where this is going. And then he said specifically, he goes, <laughs> also, do you know that Marvel's coming to Disney World? It's, it was already kind of in the works in Anaheim. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> he said Marvel is coming. Oh, so he really said they're auditioning these parts. And so um, I think it's worth sharing this piece because it's kind of cool. If you know Disney at all, they do everything to the best, like the highest quality. Um, no one paid me to say that. But um, <laughs> when they but if audition, they want to, we would be okay with that. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I would receive it. Um, so when it comes to casting auditions, they are very particular about your height, your look, your sh- you know shape, all of that. And so when you go on the website, it actually says like we're we're casting on this day from you know eight to noon uh, for these characters. Um, sometimes they won't tell you the name. Sometimes they will, but it'll say like you need to be between six one and six four. Or you need to be between whatever. So um, I looked up the dates, and they were auditioning for Star Lord. Yes. Um, yes. And so I went just almost on a dare, uh, not thinking through like, okay, what if I actually get this? Because I'm like, there's no chance that happens. There's seventy five thousand <laughs> cast members at Disney, um, all of whom are way more into theater and acting and singing than I am. <laughs> so I go and. Uh, you show up, there are over a hundred guys in a room and we're auditioning for not just Star-Lord, but Gaston, uh, Aladdin, and Prince Eric were the four characters. The big, that the big four. <laughs> the big probably, four. I would guess, there was a high, there was a high number of, of Star-Lords, but probably 30 to 40 guys Wow, um, going for the Marvel deal. So the one detail I have to tell you is there were, there were four or five um, cuts that we had to go through. And maybe we can do a Marvelette someday. I'll just tell the whole story because it's one of the most unique and weirdest experiences of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but at one point, they I made like the second or third cut where we're down to 40 guys total of the original like 110. And okay. the guy walks down the row. You just stand in a line. And he said, when I get to you, just look straight ahead and have a normal expression on your face. And what he was doing was with an iPad in front of him, he has very specific description for, from the headquarters in Burbank that say what you need to look like. So they're looking at facial structure, all that. They need you to look like Chris Pratt. And so um, our listeners can't see me. I look enough like Chris Pratt. Um, but literally one of the most awkward we'll experiences of my life, the guy just staring at me for 10, 15 seconds, <laughs> eyeballing me. And uh, so again, a longer story, not quite as long. I went through all the cuts, ended up in the leather jacket, the outfit, yes. the hair, all of it. Acting yes. out a scene, acting out the temple scene, which we're going to talk about later, um, in front of one guy in a recording that they sent back to HQ. And a week later, I got the part. Yes. yes. So we so we have Star Lord on the episode with wow. us. Wow. So Who would have thought? The one regret I have is I kind of wish I should have just taken it and done it for a while. But I ended up getting a job that I actually wanted and transitioned. Um, was also dating a girl at the time and wanted to kind of get married. And you know, so <laughs> nah, didn't no feel like that was in my best interest. <laughs> but uh, part of me, you know, feels like there was a missed opportunity. Yeah, no, you made well, the wrong call. I mean, you definitely made the wrong call. But <laughs> I'll take that. It's, you're definitely going to regret that all the way to your death. <laughs> but other than that, it's not a big deal. What I'm deal. hearing is that there is a video out there of Kyle Two man dancing in a Star Lord outfit that we boom, absolutely boom, need to be posting on our Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we'll find at least a picture and post there it. You right? There you go. <laughs> okay, guys, Guardians of the Galaxy one, 2014, directed by. James Gunn, and you know all the actors Woo-hoo. already, but, you know, Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Zoe Zaldana. Guys, John C. Riley's in this mm-hmm. movie. What the heck? I love so John good. C. Riley. He's a surprisingly great part of this movie for me. 
such a great fit. It's so yeah. you wouldn't think it'd be a good fit, but it is. Right. Okay, Robbie. Um, we talked last week about how all these other planets in the Thor movies have no culture right. or identity. <laughs> like, I think it's like, they're just a tourism, you know, show for Asgard. Right. <laughs> it's like, you go to the frost giants, like, what are they doing over there? It's like, literally, if you don't live, if you don't live in Asgard or on earth, then all you do is just sit in darkness. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just, it's just depressing as all get out. <laughs> Okay, but last night I was watching some of the behind the scenes of this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, right. and I, it just struck me, James Gunn took an incredibly different approach to this. He, you should go watch this. He spent so much time developing cultures and characters, even characters that weren't going to be on screen, so that any actors that were playing some side role or in the background kind of knew a little bit about their culture oh, before they that. even got yeah, in the scene. Wow. Yeah, and so it's you get these really developed worlds they're colorful they're vibrant like uh xandar's the first world we've seen outside of earth that i would even live in you know like this is re- all the others <laughs> oh, are ridiculous. Xandar seems great i just thought that was really cool though it is it is a very developed universe because of this movie yeah i think that's a great point you, you'd go in on a xandarian timeshare oh uh, totally yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> one of the points i thought we could jump into here uh we could fanboy on james gunn for a while um but interesting <laughs> kind of piece i found in doing some research was as a sci-fi fan himself, um, James Gunn felt like when he got the reins on Guardians of the Galaxy, he wanted to do something apparently different than what he had seen. He wanted to return mm-hmm. it, and this is from him. I don't know all of what this means. This is coming from him. He wanted to return science fiction to the feel of the 50s and 60s sci-fi films, mm. which feel a lot more fun, optimistic. The word he uses is pulpy. So <laughs> maybe we can, maybe we can look that up later, but um, you know I kind of thought that was that interesting. Though. Well, he the point he makes is the '80s, '90s sci-fi films we get. The words he used were kind of dark and brooding. Think Blade Runner, Alien, um, even like Underworld, mm-hmm. where it, it's dark. Everything's Good black. Movies. Everything's um, yes, yeah, great movies, um, but they have that kind of feel. And so right. he talks about paying attention to certain colors, the themes of the color red and the color orange, and um, all these different things, but he just he he wanted it to return to this childlike wonder hmm. Um, hmm. that he hadn't seen in a while, and I think we we also see personified in the main character. The the use of color is fascinating to me because it's I mean it was obviously a conscious choice. It's it's so colorful it's almost absurd. But right. even like when you watch the first scene, it's that temple scene where it's brooding, it's dark, it's. You know, the, the planet's flooded, it's ruined. But if you notice in the background, the sunset's like a bright mm-hmm. pink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and right when that first note hits of the song, you oh. go, oh, no, hey, you know, you get the huge Guardians of the Galaxy and like a neon looking one of the best title. One of the best intro or title cards in the yeah. MCU, I think. Including the intro when he's a kid and his mother dies, and then all of a sudden this crazy looking spaceship sucks him up right into the. Oh man, it's unbelievable. I have chills thinking about yeah. it now. But from that, and then the first scene with Quill going right into him singing and dancing. I mean, does any movie like Scream? I'm going to be different more than that. Well, one. Right, and I right, think knowing right. knowing the feel of the movie, like in hindsight. Um, I have no doubt, obviously it was intentional, but I almost got the feeling going back in my, probably my second rewatch where 
I picture James Gunn as he's directing, like you just said, Kyle, it opens with, it's raining, it's dark, and it's kind of like the, this is what you've gotten in the past. He gives us a taste of it. And then the song plays, yeah. and we get the full screen logo with the little dude dancing in the back. And it's almost like James Gunn going, psych, like, this right. is what right, you're right. actually getting. <laughs> and I love that. I just love his approach in general. I have a couple of really big overarching points that we'll get to throughout the episode, but I want to start here. I don't know that any standalone movie in the MCU is as funny and still have such a strong emotional core as mm. this one. Now, I know for me, Ragnarok would be the only other movie that I would right, put in this conversation. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But 1A, 1B, this is probably, to me, the best standalone movie in the MCU because of those things. Right, and I think it has to be said that, one, I have tremendous respect for Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth, but my understanding is that Chris Hemsworth approached Kevin Feige and Marvel and asked for a Thor movie in the style of Guardians of the Galaxy. So I think even Ragnarok mm. owes mm. something to what James Gunn did here. Interesting, kind of set the bar. Right. Well, and... I think those movies have a lot of parallels. That's what's kind of funny to me too. Yeah, yeah. Like this movie, I would say, is probably the funniest movie to me in the MCU, but the only you know attack back at that would be Ragnarok, right? which is also maybe the funniest movie. And then you still, in this movie and that movie, now Robbie, remember we did our most chill-inducing scenes right, episode right. a little bit ago, <laughs> but you still get like two of the greatest standalone, like, stand-up oh, and cheer so scenes yeah. in the MCU in both these movies. Yeah. Yep. Which is so impressive. Yeah, so that's, a, I, I guess I was just blown away by that. Yeah. Where Guardians of the Galaxy falls within the MCU, and then go back to, uh, forgive me, 2014? Um, yes, yep. right. While they're making this, uh, just the task they have set out before them, like, go down the list as far as, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna venture into a completely new arena, Right. You are going to introduce an Avengers level team in the runtime of one film. Yeah. Um, right. You are going to also stay in line or in track with with the MCU as a whole. And then I would the last point I would add is you're not just going to execute on that, but you're gonna you're gonna like overwhelm us with it. You're actually gonna they didn't just do the job, they killed it. Right. And I would argue they took us not just to a place we like, okay, we need to go to space because Thanos is on the horizon. But um, I think James Gunn and the job the actors did and all that, they gave us as an audience a new experience. Right. Um, like you guys well, said, with the color, the humor, all of it. Kind of reading your first point, it was still a risk. Yes. Oh, I yeah. remember yeah. specifically as a fan at the time, I was like, no, I'm not going to watch a movie about a <laughs> raccoon in a <laughs> tree. <laughs> And somehow they pulled it off to where now I'm sitting here saying it's maybe my favorite MCU movie. Right. Like, that's crazy. Well, and what's really interesting to me in terms of, you know, to Kyle's point of putting this back in context, this movie followed Captain America Winter Soldier, which is, again, arguably one of the stronger MCU films. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in due time. But the tone shift. It's so grounded. Yeah, is yeah. crazy. It's just so interesting yep. to go from that, which you know everybody loved, but it was a familiar character, and yeah, very grounded, basically just a spy movie, and then to to go for this, you know that Marvel was kind of holding its breath to see what the reaction would be, and it's just yeah. it it works so spectacularly well. Yeah, but I think the movie ended up being revolutionary in scope. We, we talked about the style a little bit, but yeah. to go from Winter Soldier on Earth. And I know maybe we'd seen some glimpses of space stuff, but to go this cosmic and start bringing in, I mean, this is our introduction to the Infinity Stones, really. Yeah. 
and Thanos. Like we get we get to see Thanos, like a developed Thanos. Yeah. No, I mean, in some ways, this movie is as integral as any to Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And it, which I mean, to Kyle's point, to have one film do the work that you have basically two phases of other films doing is crazy. That's so true. Well, and y'all have talked about on this podcast, I forget which episode, um, that whole, that consistent argument in science fiction about where can you go? It's sci-fi. So like we're, we have talking raccoons and talking trees. And yet in filmmaking and storytelling, you have to abide by certain rules for something to be relatable. Right, right. And so what a phenomenal job they did when you think about how insane this movie is from a visual perspective, sci-fi perspective, shooting spaceships, planets. And yet at the same time, the, the quote unquote human interactions, the relational dynamics are so grounded and so real. Oh, right. And so they cover the spectrum. And that's what make, I think that's why I get so emotionally invested. Kyle, where you're right is that I never get pulled out of this movie. I never for once as an mm. audience member like leave going, oh, that was a weird, or they broke the rules there, or that line doesn't fit. Right. I just, I'm in the whole time. Yeah, well said. It feels like I'm there. Well said. You know, to your point about the kind of human element, I don't know if you guys saw the statement that was going around recently from Martin Scorsese about Marvel movies. Do you know what I'm referring to? Ooh, I did. I <laughs> no. did. I did. Yeah. Um, where he was basically saying, I mean, I think it was a, a little overblown. He was saying he's tried to watch them, but he can't really get into them because they don't really count as films because they're not really stories about human beings, you know, trying to overcome things or whatever. Mm. And it was, it was interesting because I saw Joss Whedon actually on Twitter um, responded and said that it's impossible to look at what James Gunn has done with Guardians of the Galaxy and come to that conclusion. Oh, that's good. It's really interesting that of all the movies that gets called out as the one that is the most rooted in human emotion, it's the one that has mm. a CGI yeah. raccoon and tree in it. <laughs> Great point. Oh, yes, Great that's point. so true. Amen. <laughs> the very first scene with his mother dying, they set this emotional core there. Mm-hmm. But they don't just leave it. They give you little, little like tastes of it throughout the movie. The pinnacle of this is when they finally get to the famous scene of you said it yourself, bitch, where the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. But the geniusness to edit in Gamora saying, take my hand. Mm, and then it yeah. cuts to him seeing his mom saying, uh, Peter, take my hand. Yeah. And he didn't take his mom's hand when he was a kid. And he like still regrets that. Right. I just think, oh, it oh moves I just me got now, chills right here. It. Well, and maybe that's a good segue to talk about music, uh, not just score, but um, soundtrack and oh, the way yeah. James Gunn uses it, but his mom, yes. the relationship. And then we get that moment at the end of the movie um, where he opens, you know, deck two and, you know, it yes. says my little Star Lord. Right. And it's just like one right. of the Right, and that's moments. where he gets Star Lord uh, from. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, Man. what a great and I, thing. That's actually, yeah. a, that's a great point, Kyle, because I feel like movies, particularly since Guardians, have try to sometimes successfully and sometimes less so replicate the feeling that we get having this classic music paired with kind of superhero scenes and totally right and it it's not wor- easy it's not easy and it and you know it does work often in other cases but there's something that makes it so special here because it's actually grounded in the story it's yes. not just music yes. that's playing in the background it's like within the the universe the music is playing you know what i mean yep Right, like the the blue guys listening to Blue Sweet. Right. <laughs> that song belongs to me. Kyle, I know you've pointed out to me that in that last scene when the Dark Aster crashes, 
that actually the ooh child yeah. things are good is playing in the background <laughs> on the crash it took a Walkman. third it took a third rewatch or second rewatch for me third viewing um to catch it. I thought Peter had just started singing it to distract him but it was it was playing on the deck which makes so much more sense and what a weird challenge that would be for the actual composer I feel like to Oh, have yeah. to mash in between intense, dark, serious soundtrack song to well, ooh, child. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. The scene that you're talking about is such a great example of that, and I can't even imagine how difficult that would be to pull off. Musically, it's the best thing for me, almost in the MCU. Dun, 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 that like dark soundtrack starts <laughs> right. right when he grabs the stone, and then every time someone puts a hand to connect for the power stone, it's hitting uh, that... Uh, it hits like a big sub drop and oh, it kind of, oh, it climaxes with the bum, 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 bum. Oh, oh, so I love it so, so much. An inter- I love the theme. Interesting note I found in, in researching again was uh, t- to what Robbie, the great point you just made, the tension between writing a score and doing a soundtrack that is so tied to the meaning of the film and to specific characters and moments. But apparently Gunn in the making of the movie would literally just be around his apartment, whether he was working or not, playing, I think he did like the top 100 from the 70s and just listen through. And when he would hear a song he liked, he would write it down or think, okay, what scene could this work on? And then, Uh um, so apparently I think it was Hooked on a Feeling was going to be the opening song with with the title card. And for one reason or another, they felt like it just didn't fit. And so they ended up throwing in the, hey. Right, right. And, um, And so that changed because of him doing that. And then I also learned that they, while filming, would play oh, the yes, soundtrack I- over scenes so the actors could kind of get in character. But then um, Tyler Bates talks about when you find some quotes on him, he says it was one of the hardest movies I've ever had to do for that reason. Oh, interesting. And I think he does a great job where he he does transition. You know, that title card is such a great example of it where we go from score oh, man. to soundtrack back into score. Okay, so like Kyle said, I think we can gush about this forever, but are there any other specific (laughs) things um, that we noted that just work really well in this movie? Well, I want to get to the humor, but before I get to the humor, can I still just put a a bow on some of the emotional scenes that I think really work? Oh, yeah. I love that with Drax, for example, he's one of the funniest characters, and yet you still get some amazing emotional moments from him, some serious moments from him. Yeah. For example, in the in the Quill speech scene, which is one of the best parts of the movie. Yep. You get some funny lines in that and the 12% of the plan, and, and it's, it's funny, but he still brings it back to that this is a chance to care, right? And then Drax gets the cool line of, I will fight beside you and in the end, see my wife and daughter again. That's the kind of Drax stuff I love. Like, it's funny, but now bring me back. Right. And this this whole movie does that to perfection to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's great great balance. And if you think of um, the scene outside uh, when they're at, I think, nowhere, the place is blown up. Um, Drax has called uh, the Dark Aster and... and, um, uh, Lee Pace is there, and you have the moment with Rocket where Groot and Drax and Rocket are there, and they have this really like pretty serious moment development that oh one know, of my favorite moments in this movie. It's a spoiler, a teaser for some development we're gonna get in Guardians Two. But, yeah, yeah. Um, when you get kind of this gut punch, and and Rocket doesn't break, he doesn't give, and you're kind of like, oh wow, that was kind of cold. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but you see Groot on the other side; he's more tender, more gentle. Um, and again, just carrying that theme of, I think, depth, emotional depth. And right. Well, and how good? How good is like the the really subtle scenes, like when 
Quill sees Rocket's back. And oh, it's like, yes. a, yes. and you just get this little look of Quill understanding that this guy's been through a lot. Well, no, it's interesting you say that because James Gunn has actually said that he sees that as a turning point in the movie for how we should view Star-Lord because mm. the way that Chris Pratt acts that scene, like just a little bit of recognition that we see on his face transforms him from just a total asshole of a character to someone that we start to kind of, you know, resonate with. And I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's totally true. In a lot of ways, that's just a turning point for the movie in general, I think, in tone. Mm, Yeah. You know what's a tidbit I caught on this rewatch that I loved? The very first scene when he's a kid, did you notice his mom says, why were you fighting with the kids at school again? You caught that line? And he says, they're beating up on a a frog. Yeah, they're beating up on a killing a frog that didn't do nothing wrong, is what he said. Oh, man. And I thought, what an interesting line to include because it shows Quill's character, even as a kid, Mm -hmm. he likes to run away, but he's bothered by the kids picking on something that was helpless. Love, I love that. It ultimately ties in with that last speech scene of like, I have to fight for against the stone. Even Quill, you're asking us to die, you know? There's a little bit of Steve Rogers in there. Yeah. I love that. I mean, he's funnier and he's more sarcastic and he wants to run away, but there's like a part of his heart that he can't do it, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I love that. We need to talk a little bit more about the humor in the movie because to me, it's so genius. Yes. So I normally take notes about what worked and what didn't work. This movie, I wrote physical quotes of any time that the movie made me laugh out loud. <laughs> and I have an entire page of moments. Do you want a popcorn, Kyle? Or should we like each give like a top three or a top I know. five well, or like, I mean, I mean, even the very beginning when it's the intense scene of the chase, then he goes, oh, I... I totally forgot you were here (laughs) (laughs) to the girl. It's so funny to me. Did you catch that she's wearing the t-shirt that he was abducted in? Oh, that's great. And how about about when they're like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You might know me by another name. (laughs) Star-Lord. Who? Guys? Come on, anyone? And then to bring that back, how at the very end they notice him? Star-Lord, finally. You know that that, something else that I learned on this last rewatch and kind of listening to some commentary, that line was Chris Pratt's idea. Oh, really? I, I it love was his that. idea. So it does feel like a Chris Pratt improv. Well, it was his idea because he kind of, I, I think it was meant to be sort of a, a meta thing on the fact that nobody knows who any of these characters are coming into that movie. Like all the other <laughs> right. MCU characters we've seen, people have at least vaguely heard of and no one's just heard of any of these. So meta. So he, I mean, and it works so well. <laughs> and you're right. Like then it comes back and it's a really great moment there at the end. They play that, and they play that theme through the entire MCU. We get it again in Infinity War when they're talking with Tony and Peter on Titan, right? And it, right. Like, the same yeah. kind of like joke, Mr. Lord know, nicknames and Dude. you know, Mister. It's <laughs> don't call Star-Lord. us plucky. We don't know what it means. <laughs> it's incredible. So this is. I got to throw out one scene that for me is a. I think it's easily missed, but personally a favorite scene slash funny moment um, when. Quill gets thrown out of the broker's uh, shop and he's kind of unglued. The thing closes <laughs> yes, on yes. him. He's still got the orb and he, and he screams, we had a deal, bro. And he's like, he's unglued. He turns and you get <laughs> yes. this perfect little moment of Gamora kind of leaning up against the wall, you know, Putting like the vibe. posing <laughs> yeah. almost with, you know, chewing on whatever she's eating and, uh, and a moment of them checking each other out. And he completely flips character. And so she's, I think she says, what happened? And he stops and he said, um, 
guy backed out of a deal on me. And then he turns and you see him like literally put on cool guy. And he says, you know, if there's one thing I hate, it's a man without integrity. I'm Peter Cole. People call me Star-Lord. And he just rambles out the says, line. You're, and you seem like uh, an honorable man. He goes, well, I don't know if I'd say it about myself. But I mean, people say it about me yeah, all the time. say it about but. me. <laughs> but the way he delivers that line, if there's one thing I hate, it's a man without integrity. <laughs> right. Peter Cole. People call me Star-Lord. I lose it every time. It's I so love, That's a great scene. What, where's Yondu? Wanted to be here. Wanted me to tell you, you got the best eyebrows in the biz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's, you know, there are so many great Drax lines and I don't want to quote any of the obvious ones that have almost become like meme worthy because everyone knows them. But one that I laugh out loud out every time, Talk, you know, Kyle, you were talking about the balance with the Drax character between being, you know, really intense and then also being really funny just moment to moment. The line there at the end where he goes, you quill are my friend. This dumb tree is my friend. And this green whore is my friend. <laughs> oh, you must stop. It's, yes, that's a great part. It's like, but then it comes back though when he shoots Ronan and he says, no one talks to my friends that way. <laughs> exactly. No, no, Nebula, Nebula. He shoots Nebula. Shoots Nebula, But Thank guys, you. that's what's so crazy to me. I'm, it, this is hitting me for the first time. I'm looking at this list of all my funny lines, and what's so good about this movie is almost every single one of them is immediately followed by something that moves me emotionally. I'm serious. Right. Like, I was talking about the, isn't it Star Prince? And and then I th- got thinking about John C. Riley and how we come back to how Quill saves John C. Riley's family, and we get to see that. And that's like a cool yes. tie into that, right? Or- huh. I mean, just every one of these lines almost is a company with a moment. We talked about this, but it was, again, a third viewing where I finally realized they give us when the villain ships are attacking Xandar and Rocket and the team go down to protect everyone. Um, you get like this quick zoom in on a mother holding her child, yes. her daughter. Um, and it like hit me. I'm like, why did we just get that zoom in? And then I realized at the end of the movie, it's John C. Riley's right. wife and right. daughter. I knew he had a wife um, and daughter, and but I never payoff. caught them on the bridge, Kyle. Right. I didn't either. Not until, like I said, third viewing and you see you get the payoff, though. which is so cool. Here's another example. Tiny, right? At the very end of the movie, when Quill says he's going to be so pissed when he realizes I switched out the orb on him. And it's funny to me. That's such a fun, like Quill moment. But you get this cool glance of Gamora and she kind of laughs at it and her acting of it, it, it plays off like this entire movie. She's been frustrated by Quill's, you know, they're so different, yeah, you know, Quill is softening a little. Right. And then that's like the moment of her, like, yeah, softening. I don't totally. know. No, I love that. Yeah. And while we're still on humor, since you brought up John C. Riley, he also has some of my favorite <laughs> lines in this movie. I mean, again, there are so many, but there at the end, whenever they've given them the new ship and Rocket and Drax are asking what they can get away with. Yeah, right. The line where Drax is asking if he can rip out a guy's spine. And John C. <laughs> Riley's like, no, that would be. Murder, it's, That's, well, it's murder. one of the worst crimes also of illegal. them all. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Yes. And, and he also says that he's an a-hole, but he's not, and I'm quoting him here, 100% a dick. <laughs> Do you believe him? Well, I don't think anyone's 100% a dick, man. <laughs> That's perfect. I want to give a shout out to, again, a, a subsequent rewatch where I noticed this, where we get what I'm going to call a little giants moment, where okay. when the song is playing... Uh, cherry bomb, I think it's called. Um, and it's the you know montage as they're getting ready to attack mm-hmm. uh, to protect Xandar. You get Groot, I think it is, um, like flexing, and you see 
something happened, but then he plucks a twig from his cheek, like he's trying to get ready for the <laughs> oh, battle and he's, got, yeah, he's like yeah. tweezing a hair or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like that. Like I said, the little giants, I picture the kid in front of the mirror putting on his eye black. Right. <laughs> um, right ready to go in for the battle. <laughs> but see, even that is perfect. Cause like the famous scene of after the speech and they're all marching and it's like the slow-mo shot of them walking. If you notice, they keep putting in little funny things oh, like rockets rocket adjust adjusts his crotch. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. And Quill kind of like rubs his nose, like wipes like snot <laughs> right. off his face. The, yeah. It's just like they're, they're ragtag. That's the point yeah, of it. Yeah, okay. So deliberate. Two other quick things that work and then we can move on. But I need to give a shout out to Bradley Cooper. I think it's underrated how impressive his voice acting is. And if the Lion King this year taught me anything, it's that not anybody can just be a voice actor. <laughs> yeah, great point. And I mean, it's how can we feel this attached to somebody who we've never actually seen act? Right. But so, he, he delivers his lines in such a way that I feel it. It's amazing. Great. No, great point. Yeah, I agree with the scene when they're gambling, waiting for the collector um, and you get that fight, you know, I forget all the dialogue, but Quill comes in and kind of stops him and, you know, got 40 billion units. Um, right. But just he's drunk and it's kind of coming out more how he feels. It's, you know, it's those moments. Yeah, one of my favorite lines in the movie actually is uh, Rocket there saying, I didn't ask to get made. And mm. it's so intense. Again, I mean, like you're right. This movie bounces back and forth because that scene is inherently funny initially. Like they're like gambling and it's goofy and they're drunk. And then suddenly it like <laughs> turns, I win you know? as I do it all things. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But then, you know, I love one. I just think that line's so great. And it, it like in one line shows us so much about who Rocket is and what's driving him. But then it also foreshadows the best parts of Guardians 2, which we'll talk about next time. Um, which I think, you know, the best parts of that movie are kind of following that thread that we start to get here with Rocket. Yes. Totally. No doubt. My last thing of what worked, and we kind of went into some of this, but just how connected it is to the rest of the MCU makes me so happy, makes my heart fulfilled with the Thanos setups, the Infinity Zone yeah. setup. But also, did you catch the little references like the Sakaar reference? Yes. What the heck? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the Sakaar, yeah. I never knew that. Well, and I also love, you know, shout out again to our viewing order here, but I think it's fun, you know, having seen Captain Marvel, we've already kind of been introduced to the Kree in general. So whenever you hear about the Kree Empire, we actually have some context. Right. But specifically, I think it's really fun kind of being reintroduced to Ronan and Korath instead of, you know, them just being totally new figures on the scene. I think it kind of adds an interesting element. I think it makes Ronan a little bit better. I think it makes his kind of going fanatic more explainable if you've watched Captain true. Marvel yeah, personally. Yeah, yeah, true. Good point. And yeah, I don't think we ever realized, or I don't think I realized until now while watching Endgame, the the payoff that we enjoy because of what was established through the Guardians films, where not only in Infinity War and Endgame do you have, well, mostly Infinity War, Guardians characters playing such pivotal roles, but... Um, Think back to phase one. We end phase one and Thanos in the sanctuary is, it's not weird, but it's so off color from everything else we've experienced. It's always been on earth. Right. And right. then you get guardians and it, I think, gave us a much needed build around for Thanos's context. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. So obviously so much works. What didn't work for you guys? Oh man, okay. Well, am I the only one that's gonna have anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give it you was a... silence because I'm thinking to myself, this movie's I got a perfect. If anyone answers this, I'm gonna kill somebody. <laughs> let's uh let's hear from the guest first. Guest honor. Okay. 
Yeah, so mine is is going to be knowing that I didn't want to even share this, knowing that we get Guardians 2. Uh, and also, I'm going to give all these disclaimers because I love this movie. It's like <laughs> top three for me. Right, um, it's amazing. But I think because they're, like we've already said, developing a whole team of characters and um, you're investing in different ways, knowing that we do get payoffs in Guardians 2 with other characters and characters they didn't develop. Uh, there were times where I felt... Not not unrealistic or like oh they didn't do that uh, well, but Yandu in particular uh, and some of the Ravagers. Uh, I think it's James Gunn's brother who, in Guardians two and even in different other you know end credit scenes and stuff, they're great. And I think Guardians two he's amazing, but uh, it just felt awkward to me at times, or it felt like they didn't quite know what they were doing with that character. And I realize that's hard with a character you haven't developed yet. Hmm. Um, but even some of the lines to me felt a little clunky. Um, hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, totally. it makes sense. I didn't. I didn't feel it. Did you feel that, Robbie? I haven't thought about that before, but I I can see what you're getting at for sure. My other thought was, I think Ronan is a B plus villain. Like I I like it. It's good. Yeah. I don't think it's the best villain. I don't think he's a top five villain, but I don't think it's atrocious. And just to reiterate, I do think that my opinion of him has gone up post Captain Marvel. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think that for me, and I, it took, you know, to the movie's credit, it took me several watches, I think, to reach this conclusion. And to be fair, I think it took me seeing later villains. I mean, people have, have heard about kind of some of our favorite villains, and most of them come in phase three. And I think that for the longest time, Marvel kind of struggled with that. So I think compared to the villains that had come before, Ronan was actually pretty great. But I think now, you know, looking at some that we've gotten later, they're much more fleshed out. And I think ultimately, I don't I don't feel like I totally buy into Ronan's motivation in the way that I could. Now, now to be fair, you know, you only have so much time in this movie and so much character development you can do. But I do think that that's a weakness and what I would say is otherwise a, a nearly perfect movie for me. Yeah, so I actually agree to some extent because acknowledging that you don't have time to give backstory. Um, I still think they could have done maybe some other things, but um, I do think it's a pretty good villain given the context and everything else we've said, where I think Lee Pace, for one, does a phenomenal job sure. acting. I think he plays the crazy, over-the-top, fanatical uh, you know, villain. Uh, right. And I think James Gunn, I think the writers did a good enough job of saying, okay, we don't get this guy a ton of screen time. We don't get him a lot of words, but he you know, three or four times early in the movie gives us the line like my father, his father before him and his his hatred of Xandar. Uh, and then just the way Lee Pace acts it, that he is so intense. And then my understanding is James Gunn had to include Thanos mm. and add that scene at the sanctuary that wasn't originally in the film because the MCU kind of demanded it. Which I do think and is a great scene. He does a great job with it. Where between that and then the the FaceTime call on the Dark Aster, <laughs> uh, call it, where he says, um, "You know, you yes. call me boy," yes. and uh, yeah. and then at the sanctuary where where Thanos, we get a little more Thanos development. He yep. says, "Your demeanor is like that of a pouty child." Yes. I think they give us some good development around villain yeah. persona and mindset, which I so appreciated. I like that FaceTime call scene because <laughs> I know it is the it, it what is the typical power struggle thing. And I get that 
just wanting more power. But I do like that shift where he's hired and he's kind of got a mission to defeat Xandar, but he's hired by somebody else to get this stone. Right. And yeah. in that moment, deciding, well, I have the stone now. I can just do this. Right. And I like that. I, yeah. what, and with Than- I would argue with Thanos in the film, it's, it's villain 101 when you have these multiple levels of villainy. Um, you don't need Ronan to be Thanos. You have Thanos right. in the film. So with Ronan, you're getting, I'm okay that he's a B plus because that's what the movie demands. I think Ronan's actually a great foil to Thanos in that way because, I mean, you know, yes. Kyle, yeah, well we know, is is a huge Thanos fan. And I think one of the things that makes <laughs> yes. him such a great character is because he he has this kind of cool about him all the time That's that's super kind of unnerving, but it's almost this, this uh, like, wisdom. And I think that, you get such the contrast between Ronan, who's shouting all the time, and he is over Great the point. top and crazy. And then you have Thanos, who's just sitting back in his throne, kind of laughing at him. And even then, you're getting the sense that like this is a very different villain that's brewing and a much scarier villain. Well, and I know I've probably talked about this at nauseum at this point to our audience, but <laughs> I love the different power levels. And I just, I love, but I, I seriously love the idea that Ronan, who is terrifying and the Guardians are like, this guy's crazy and Broker's like, I'm not going to have anything to do with Ronan in there. Everyone's terrified of him. Yeah. Ronan still goes to Thanos and is like humbled. He can't really talk to him. And I love that from the very beginning they set that up that, okay, this guy's bad, but there is the ultimate bad guy is still out there. Right. Oh, he's scared of him. You know, I know. Which I will, I love. I will bathe, the, bathe the starways <laughs> in your blood, and he looks like a sheepish little kid. I know. It just really makes me appreciate that they set that up that well this early. Even. Oh no, it's so good because I mean, you th- and we've talked about this as far back as our first episode, but it's like we we had a bit of it in the Avengers. We're getting much more of it now, but it's this like they are building Thanos up so much, and then it's so long before we ever see him in action. And then once we do, it's like, oh no, that like it was t- entirely deserved. He's terrifying, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, Although I do want to say, just as a note about this movie and a few other movies, and push back on this, but we get a shout out to this in the final scene of Age of Ultron, which we'll talk about. But I do think it's interesting how Thanos has this habit of sending other people to get Infinity Stones. And it just seems yeah. to not work out for him at all. <laughs> <laughs> like when he finally decides to go grab him himself, it works. Right. Maybe you should have thrown with that plan a lot right. Especially in the Avengers, it's like, okay, I want an Infinity Stone, so I'm going to give one away to someone else <laughs> so they can then go get me yeah. another one. <laughs> Even in Endgame, Robbie, I caught yes. this in Endgame. He's sitting there at the very end and he says to Nebula, go retrieve the stones for me. I'll sit here. It's like, well, maybe you should just go get them at yeah. this point. Right. He goes, what are you going to do? That's kind of a, so that's what I was going to say. There's a, there's a meme going that's around. that's old Thanos, right? He doesn't know yet. Yeah. She says, what are you going to do? And he goes, wait. It's like, yeah. You mean what you did for 15 films? Yeah, well, <laughs> right. okay, this is funny and I'm glad we're talking about this, but you're also right, Robbie, just hit me. He doesn't have, that Thanos doesn't have the past experience of being burned by not getting these stones from sending people. Right. That's interesting. Right. I didn't think about he that. He hasn't had his Ronin interaction <laughs> But yet. it is still funny to think about. I'll just sit here and someone else will grab him at this point. <laughs> Surely that'll work out for me. Yeah. Can't see why it wouldn't. Okay, and I, I literally think this movie is almost flawless. So the only other th- comment I even had is the first 20 times I watched this film, Nebula kind of annoys me. Not that she acts it terribly, but it just she's an annoying character to me. However... In context of Infinity War and Endgame, I am now changing my mind on that. 
She does not annoy mm. me anymore. Mm. But that was the only other thought I ever had when I first saw this movie. I also just have a newfound respect for Karen Gillan, who plays Nebula. Yes. I did not realize, do you know she shaves her head oh. every time she's playing this character? <laughs> I was going to say, I'm wow. just blown away by the accent. She's what, Irish or something? Yeah, it's, I think so. It's Scott, a really Irish. strong accent. And then how these characters can just play these movies without sounding like that blows my mind. I'm just saying that some dedicate. That's like some Brian Cranston Breaking Bad dedication we've got. <laughs> but I know that's, I would agree with Kyle. That's at least the case for the first Guardians. I don't know if she's done that for all the later films, but but I would agree with Kyle. I also felt like in the first movie, the term I would use, and I'm this may sound really harsh, but overacting. Yes, it, yeah. Where yeah. at times her facial expressions, her yelling was so intense. It's like you're trying. Yeah, to act I like know. This. Which is what bothered. That's why I use the word annoying because I think that's the word I was searching for. Yeah. A little bit overacted. But in the context of all the films and the the ones we the scenes we get her in later, I agree completely. It's phenomenal to change. Yeah, just like Thor, she settles in a lot more in future movies, and I end up feeling more emotionally tied to her way later. It just takes a while. Right. Totally. And I think to her credit, it's kind of a hard character to settle into, right? Like if if I saw that character on paper. I'm not sure that I would know exactly how to approach it. I think she had to find a way to distinguish Nebula from like both the villains and the heroes around her, like across these movies. And I don't think that that's, I think that's easier said than done. Well, if think of it this way, if her job in the movie primary role to accomplish was to be a juxtaposition against Gamora and communicate to us, the audience, some jealousy there, and like Thanos to Gamora versus Thanos to Nebula, mm-hmm. she did it. She checked the box. Um, yeah. And that payoff happens in Guardians 2. It happens again in Endgame. Um, she did it. So yeah, the only other thing that I have here is so small, um, and it's really not the fault of Guardians itself, but I do find myself wishing that Marvel had just settled on a Thanos character design a little bit earlier. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I just I hate that he looks so different every time yes. we see him until Infinity War to Endgame. It's like yeah. I, it's yeah. almost just a different character ever. I mean, we have Josh Brolin's voice, and that's kind of the only connecting feature, right? And yeah. that he's vaguely purple. or the chin, the nutsack of a chin, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but even that's the so even true. the nutsack chin changes dramatically. It you know? does. Yeah, it does. changes color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get very different no nutsacks. <laughs> uh, oh, no, man. I agree. It's. It's a little bit weird, but and, and the version we ultimately settle on in Infinity War and Endgame is the best one. So, Robbie, to your point on Thanos, when I went back and I wanted to know, okay, why? Like, what is the actual difference? Can I articulate it? To me, it's the eyes. Yeah, they are It's different. actually, he's not, oh, yeah. he, in Endgame and Infinity War, he's more humanized to where the way mm-hmm. they draw him is like, he's still a huge purple guy, but he looks like right. a human. Whereas um, early on, and that goes to what you're saying on CGI quality, I think, but but the way they do his eyes and around around his eyes, it just looks a lot less right. relatable. I don't want to get into the crazy tech of this, but I'm pretty sure it's the same with the Hulk, where and in 2014 they were probably mostly CGIing it like on a computer, and then in the later movies they got really a lot better at the motion capture stuff. Yeah, sure. I'm sure that's the difference. You Makes actually sense. get Josh Brolin's face more. Sure. You know, but anyways. Um, okay. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk briefly about what really works moving forward and kind of just as a preliminary matter, I, I think that we have to point out how great 
some of this casting was and how much that holds down not just this franchise, but also so much of what we're later going to get in Infinity War and Endgame. Oh, no doubt. So good. And I, I mean, I, th- I think for me especially, one of, one of the really interesting things here is Chris Pratt's performance is just so undeniably great and so charismatic. And he has this kind of Han Solo thing going that feels so good and so kind of nostalgic, but also fresh. And I thought it was really fascinating to learn that James Gunn was originally entirely uninterested in Pratt for the role. Mm -hmm. Apparently his people (laughs) were kind of hounding James Gunn and Marvel about giving him a chance. And he was just like, absolutely not. It's not going to work. And finally Chris Pratt got in and gave an audition, and I think within like the first 30 seconds, according to James Gunn, he had already made his decision and knew that he had to be the right guy for the part. Wow. And he was so into Pratt's take on the character that he actually said, <laughs> at the time, people, fans of Parks and Rec will remember that this was uh, less defined <laughs> Chris Pratt. <laughs> um, and so he had a little bit of a gut Andy still. Dwyer. Andy Dwyer. Um, well, I remember and, as a diehard Parks and Rec fan when he came back for the following season. Oh, which was and so they funny. Had, they had to make an explanation for it. And Ben <laughs> asked him, he goes, what happened? He goes, stop drinking beer. Right. He goes, you must have been drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> but so, that's also insane in and of itself because he wasn't coming from a movie star guy. He was just coming oh, from no, Parks totally, and Rec. Right. Totally. And no, I mean, it's totally revolutionized. What I was going to say that I just think is funny is James Gunn actually said that he was so... <laughs> intent on having Chris Pratt in the movie that he was willing to CGI a six pack onto him no. if he couldn't get into superhero shape. <laughs> of course, he Chris got Pratt. freaking jacked for this movie. <laughs> he did. He wound he did. up losing 60 pounds in six months. I've seen oh him talk goodness. about his workout routine right? and how basically it's unsustainable. Like that's what he says. Like I can't keep this kind of body but, and I right. think it's funny, they kind of make jokes of that in Infinity War a little bit and stuff with like right. the chin and, uh, the, you know. <laughs> You're one sandwich away from fat. Exactly. <laughs> but no, he, yeah, he's so good. It's funny, we kind of think of him as summer blockbuster guy now with Jurassic Park and Passengers and all these, you know, big movies. Yeah. And at the time though, that wasn't the case. He was a, fa- a chubby guy for This is his first, first blockbuster Yeah, film. he was the comedic relief. Yes, but he his performance is so good that I think that propelled him into new roles. Personally. Right, right. And then you know Zoe Saldana, I think. It, oh, I love Zoe Saldana. I mean, <laughs> especially, I mean, maybe more than any other character. As we're talking about the impact that she, I mean, she is the emotional core of Infinity War in a lot of ways. And I have so much respect for her because I always picture her as drumline girl. <laughs> and <laughs> this is like a way more mature, developed, great role. She's amazing. Oh, it's so good. And yeah, it was interesting to me because again, kind of learning about some of the casting stuff from from James Gunn, this role was initially offered to Olivia Wilde. um, Interesting. Which would have been so different. Uh, Good, but so different. She turned it down and then um, they, you know, picked it between a bunch of other people and Zoe Saldana wound up with the part, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. But- she kills um, it. And then obviously Bradley Cooper, who we already talked about. Man, but so good. Oh. But but I do want to bring up with, with Rocket, one of the things that I think I was the most impressed by kind of on this rewatch, Kyle, just because we have been marching through these older movies kind of going back to 2008. How far have we come since The Incredible Hulk in the CGI that we're being given here? Like yeah, that scene right. where you see Rocket, you know, like when you see his back, I mean, just like anytime you see his fur, like the, the fact that we can feel so attached to this character, to Groot, 
compared to like the kind of soupy green that was the Hulk <laughs> in that movie. It's it's even since the Avengers. I mean, even in the two years between those movies, I think the visuals have just ramped up remarkably. Although he did have yeah. a great head of hair in the first movie. That's true. It was realistic. Let's give him that. Robbie, I pointed this out on Dark World episode. I think this era-ish, something about 2012 to 14, that changed for me. The visuals went from kind of cheap looking to really, really pro. Yeah. It can't be overstated the degree to which Thor the Dark World changed our lives. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Right, not just the MCU. We got to bring it back in. Bring it back to Thor Dark World. So... (laughs) Not just visuals, but with our lives in general. <laughs> the theme that we get from Thor, the Dark World, from uh, Brian Tyler yes. takes us the rest of the way. I mean, that that theme is used in the Marvel title card, you know, somewhere in the next, you know, 10 movies. It's crazy. Man. Well, now I just don't even want to talk about Guardians anymore. Can we, can we talk about a better movie <laughs> for a second? Just like a good one? Yeah, actually. Thor um, and lastly, I mean, we've already hinted at it because so many of our favorite lines come from Drax, but Dave Batista is also just remarkable here. I mean, like the cast, just everyone is is showing up in such a real way. But that is, again, such a weird character to play. And the way that he imagines it- He's a freaking it, professional wrestler, yeah, right? isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is, he is. And, and even further on, I mean, we'll talk about this more, but some of the lines that Dave Batista himself gives us, like some of the stuff that he improvises wind up being some of my favorite lines in later Marvel movies. I mean, he- yeah, I mean, it, he is such a great element of this movie, and I'm so grateful we have him. And, and, and that Drax, who, who again, you know, talking about kind of the comics background, to me is is a very uninteresting character. In this <laughs> movie, becomes like one of the one of the best parts of the Guardians, I think, and one of the best parts of the MCU. Agreed. So, um, you know, in terms of what else is kind of foundational moving forward, I mean, I, I don't think it can be overstated how significant just this reveal of what the infinity stones are and kind of the explanation of where they come from and how they work is. And and even just us seeing in the scene with the collector, but then also at the end of the film, what an infinity stone looks like in action, I think is is huge kind of moving forward and, and is going to pretty much define the MCU all the way through to Endgame. Right. When Quill the, says, I, I got a little pee coming out of me right now. <laughs> I got a little pee. Yeah. Which is how we should all feel. Tiny, tiny side note. I love the visual of how they show the Power Stone when it actually blows up Ronin. Right. I thought that was yeah. cool. So cool how it kind of melts your face off. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I love yeah. it. They show the, they do a really good job of depicting that you can't physically hold this thing. It's that oh, powerful. What it does to, uh, is it Karina? I think he's, he yells her name yeah. in that yeah, scene. Yeah, I think that's yes. right. Um, and like, can we please not miss the fact that we have a dark elf in the background of that scene? Right. So just <laughs> shout, out, yeah. shout out thing Thor moving to, forward. You know, I mean, that's actually. Hey, goes, what the f- <laughs> and it cuts when that blows up. <laughs> you were carrying that around in your purse? <laughs> it's not a purse, dude. It's a it's perfect. Um, and then, you know, we've talked about Thanos, but I think the development that we get with Thanos is, again, kind of huge. Even just this line, Thanos is the most powerful being in the universe. Hmm. I, I yes. think, like, just automatically kind of ups whatever we thought was going on and starts to kind of build this anticipation that really pays off. Um, really, it's just crazy how many seeds are planted in this movie 
that right. that will see bear some fruit in Guardians 2, but will really be bearing fruit all the way on till the end of the Infinity Saga in very real, very important ways. And so, totally. I, yeah, this this movie is is just it's just it's one of the best. That's a perfect place to end because it kind of goes back to our very first point: how revolutionary this movie was in scope. It sets up the the you know the whole rest of the deal comes down to this movie. Right. Okay, guys, let's get to my favorite part of the episode. We got to rank it. Kyle, I think I I think Kyle should go first. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, do the honors. Guest of honor. It has ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but I want to hear what you're. Where Interesting. Ninety one. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess they're not all. Low, they're not all MCU. You know, they're not on the Endgame support group text chain <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> I gave it a ninety six. Oh, nice. my overall rating. Nice. So it's, okay. it's man after my own it's heart. Holding the three, <laughs> it's holding the three spot for me right now um, in my overall rankings. So 96 coming in at number three. Okay, perfect. So I'm almost identical. 97 for old Kyle and uh, coming at number three. There is potential that it could swap with four depending on how I feel on a couple movies coming Same. up here. But Same. It, 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 it's almost flawless to me. It's it's perfect. It's revolutionary. I love it. 97. Robbie. So go ahead and ruin our day. <laughs> no, no, no. Bring us back down to earth. Mine no is still ranked ranked higher than uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it. I bet at a ninety three. Okay. Um, and it's it's a number six out of my rankings. And mm. and okay. And it, it's really hard once you get up to to the upper echelon yep. of movies. I mean, we've talked about this, but really the yep. only reason that the movies that are ahead of it are ahead of it is because ultimately I found those villains to be a bit more compelling and that was the only way that I could really separate it out because I felt like all of those movies were equally great so number six it's it really is I mean at this point it, just, it doesn't get much better than than Guardians and I'm so excited because we've got just a bunch of good ones coming from here on out I feel like the tier system works really well when you're ranking these because in my opinion there's about nine movies that anybody could argue is their number one and I wouldn't fight you right I'd be like yeah. okay it's just a preference thing Maybe you prefer to see the Avengers, and so it's a little higher for you, right? Which I get a hundred percent. Like it's not tied into the specifically to the Avengers. So when you said ninety three, I didn't want to kill you. That's fine. You're in there. <laughs> right, right. And so I, you're in the club. And I'm tempted. I'm tempted to explain the movies that are above it, but I'm going to save that for later episodes. So next time we're on this show, we're going to be talking about Guardians Two, which James Gunn claims happens right after Guardians One, yeah, and I'm really excited to watch it next because I think it's going to help me with uh, some of the concerns I had with that movie. So Guardians Two next time. Yes, and in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at the FFW Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts on all of this. How do you feel about Guardians? How are you feeling about Guardians 2 coming up? And please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you guys listening. All right, friends from work, what are we going to do after this? Something good? Something bad? <laughs> A little bit of both? A little bit, A little of, bit both. of both. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Yeah.